being here this morning and uh, certainly rejoice in all of God's blessings that he's given us this week and we look forward to what he has for us in the coming days as well. Matthew chapter 8, if you'll stand with me please for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter number 8 and uh, love to hear those Bible pages turning. The Bible says of course that uh, God directs us by his word. We mentioned a little bit in Sunday school that uh, God's word is a lamp into our feet, light into our path and and uh, we talked about the will of God. There's, it's impossible to know the will of God or to do the will of God outside the Word of God. And so uh, it's very important uh, that we make the Bible a preeminent <coughs> uh, focal point of our lives. Matthew 8, we'll begin reading in verse number 5. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. amen. All right, good. Seven of us. That's good. I like that. And uh, that's better than the normal three of us. And so I'll take it. Uh, Matthew chapter 8 and verse number 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. Verse 10, When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Verse 11, And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness, there shall be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Look at verse 11 is our text. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way. Notice this next statement. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. I want to preach to you this morning in that little statement. As thou hast believed. As thou hast believed. Let's all pray. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness. I pray you'd help us this morning. And uh, thank you for these who've come. Thank you for these who've come with an open heart, a tender heart, a, uh, an anticipating heart uh, to receive what you have for us. And Father, you have something prepared for us. And if we're expecting a blessing, then we'll go away with the blessing. And Father, I pray that as we go away with the blessing, that we would seek to be a blessing uh, throughout this week to others that we come into contact with and those with whom we cross paths. I pray that you bless now. Holy Spirit, I need your power and your help. And, and uh, Father, you promised to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. And I pray that you do so this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. As thou hast believed, <coughs> so... Uh, so be it done unto thee. The Bible's very clear that we must have faith if we're going to please God. You can't please God outside of faith. You know, God is not impressed with man's intelligence. Think about it. God is all-knowing. Why in the world would he be impressed with the intelligence that he has given to us? It all comes from him. God is not impressed with man's personality or man's charisma. God is not impressed with man's abilities. Uh, we ooh and ah and marvel at uh, professional athletes and the abilities that they have. And as far as our way of thinking, it's an amazing thing. <clears throat> but God's not impressed with that. 
But the Bible does say that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so your faith is measured by how willing you are to diligently seek the Lord. Now, I was watching something the other day, and uh, uh, a, a debate between a Christian uh, man <coughs> and an atheist. And this, uh, uh, I say atheist, it was, uh, she was not an atheist, I, I don't know what she, how she termed it, but it basically she was, uh, she was trying to pin down this Christian man by saying he was narrow-minded in his statement that Jesus was the only way to heaven. By the way, it wasn't his statement, that was God's statement. Uh, there is only one way to heaven, and if you have a problem with that, you need to take it up with the God of the universe because he's the one who made it that way. Uh, but this woman had a problem with this statement, and she said, you mean to tell me uh, that all the other belief systems in the world are wrong and yours is the only one that's right? And he said, ma'am, he said, that's, uh, I don't say that boastfully, but that's exactly what God's word tells us. And, uh, and she tried to take him to task on that, and she said, you mean the people who have intense faith uh, is uh, around the world, all of the, 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 the things that they do and all of their demonstrations and expressions of their faith is, uh, is for naught? And he said, that's exactly what the Bible says. You see, it is not the intensity of our faith, it's the object of our faith that saves us. You say, well, well, what about those people who are so uh, uh, wrapped up in their, and they have very strong faith. Look, if I have faith in that piece of wood right there, I'm in trouble. I can believe in that piece of wood all I want to. I can, I can put my faith in just about anything. You, we have religions all around the world. People put their faith in a totem pole. They put their faith in a, in a rock. They put, a, they, they put their faith in a, in a piece, in a statue or a piece of concrete. They put their faith in some, uh, some man-made carved image of a little Buddha image or, or whatever, and they rub his belly. And look, you can have as intense a faith as you want to, but it's not the intensity of the faith that takes you to heaven. It's the object of that faith that's able to take you to heaven. And if you invest your faith in the wrong object, my friend, you're going to be sorely disappointed come the next life. Because faith that is not invested in Jesus Christ is misplaced faith. And we'll talk about that at the end of the message, but this morning, as we, as we get into the story, it's the story of a centurion, a Roman officer <coughs> who was in charge of uh, a group of men. Uh, again, this is a Roman, not a Jew, not an Israeli, if you will. He was a Roman centurion, and uh, uh, he was in charge of up to 100 soldiers that were answerable to him. And, uh, and he came to Jesus on behalf of his servant, who was very sick. And he had one simple request of Jesus. He said, look, all I want you to do is heal my servant. Now, that tells me a lot about this man. First of all, it talks about his compassion. But he said, I want you to heal my servant. And, uh, and Jesus gave this man one of the great compliments uh, that Jesus gave during his ministry. He said in verse number 10, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. That's a, that says a mouthful right there. This was not even a Jew. This was a Gentile. He was a Roman centurion. And he came to Jesus and he said, Look, would you heal my servant? He said, Jesus, you don't even have to come under the roof of my house if you just say the word. I trust your word so much, Jesus, that if you just say the word... He'll be healed. And Jesus marveled at the faith of this centurion. 
Well, what I want you to notice this morning is the great faith that this centurion demonstrated by coming to Christ. This man's faith was evident. I want to share with you several things this morning. First of all, this man's faith was evident because, number one, he believed in living for others. He believed in living for somebody besides himself. Now, get the picture. This Roman centurion, he was somebody. He was a man of authority. He was a man of some means. He was a well-respected man. Uh, obviously, as a centurion, he was responsible for 100, up to 100 Roman soldiers who were under his command. But notice, he was, lit, he was so concerned about not even one of his soldiers who were subject to him. That's not who he came on behalf of. He came on behalf of a lowly servant who worked in his house. And he was so concerned about this servant that he sought out the Savior, he sought out the great physician, and he said, Jesus, I know that you can heal my servant, and I'm coming to you on his behalf. Now, would you do something that no one else can do? He was not there for himself. He was not asking for a personal favor. He stood to gain nothing by going out of his way to find Jesus. He was simply there on behalf of someone else. From what we understand, it was not even a family member. It was a servant. It was a servant. He went out of his way to help somebody who needed help. And you know, this morning, we need to strengthen our belief in helping others. All of us need to refocus our attention from time to time on the fact that the world doesn't revolve around you and I. Now, we're self-centered by nature, let's face it. All of us are. There's not, there's not a one of us who by nature is not somewhat self-centered. Uh, we get up in the morning. Uh, I, I love Brother John has a little saying. He said, the first thing I think about when I get up in the morning is, first of all, what am I going to eat? And he said, the second thing I think about when I get up in the morning is when do I get back to go to bed? When do I get to go back to bed? <laughs> and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, you know that, that pretty much sums up a lot of our thought processes. What am I going to eat? Uh, you know, the disciples came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus said to them, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink or for your body what you shall put on. He said, Look, <laughs> your heavenly Father is going to take care of you. Uh, but that's, that's our nature. Our nature is to be wrapped up in our world, in our needs, and, and what's important to us. And, uh, and so understand, we need to strengthen our belief in helping others, because we're selfish by nature. Uh, we want to satisfy our flesh before anything else. Our, uh, some of our young people went up to, uh, or I should, I should say went down to Cedar Point. <clears throat> Anytime you go to Ohio, you're going down, amen? Anyway, it's just uh, just uh, just just want to tweak a few of you Buckeye fans in here this morning anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, we went down to Cedar Point the other day, and, uh, and, and it's amazing. They call it an amusement park. Amusement. You know what amuse means? It means the, the prefix ah means no, and muse means to think. The no-think park. <laughs> and I'll promise you there was no thinking going on at that place. I'll promise you that. I mean, everybody's rushing to this ride and rushing to that ride, and, and, uh, and it's, hey, when is that time to eat? And, and they had these little armbands that uh, we got this deal where the, if, you had, if you got this armband, you get to, uh, to uh, <coughs> free drinks all day long. You just go to any place, show them your armband, they'll give you something to drink. Man, that's awesome. And uh, <coughs> you say, preacher, what did you ride? I went all out this year. I rode the Ferris wheel. Uh, <coughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway... <laughs> 
But hey, I got lots of refills on those drinks. I'll promise you that. <clears throat> but, uh, but you know what? Everybody's living for themselves. That's, that's our nature. That's who we are. But you know what? God's not, he's not interested in us just feeding our nature. God wants us not to do the natural. God wants us to do the supernatural. God wants us to not just to have our mind. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what was the mind of Christ? The mind of Christ was to live for someone else. The mind of Christ was to, Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And he humbled himself and became obedient unto death and even the death of the cross. But notice in there it says he took upon himself the form of a servant. He was a servant. He looked out for the needs of others and living for others is what Christianity is all about. The essence of living like Christ. Well, you, you, we say, well, you know, pastor, I, I want to be more like Jesus. You know, living like Jesus, I think some people get the wrong idea of what that means. Some people believe that living like Jesus is walking around with your hand, hands folded, singing sevenfold amen all the time and having a really pious look on your face. That's not what Christ likeness is all about. Christ-likeness, if you want to live like Jesus lived during his three-and-a-half-year ministry here on this earth, you're going to go around, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 that Jesus, he went about doing good. He looked for people to help. He looked for needs to fill. He looked for somebody that he could be a blessing to. And you know, this morning, that's exactly what we need to do. We need to be about uh, living for others and looking for the needs of others. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 4, the Bible tells us this, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The things of others. I believe it was the founder of the Salvation Army, General William Booth. General Booth was on his deathbed, and he was scheduled to, uh, to speak to a group of Salvation Army volunteers and, uh, at their national convention, their national assembly, their national gathering. And uh, Brother, <clears throat> our General Booth was so sick and so weak and it wasn't, he wasn't long for this world and he just physically could not go to speak to this national meeting of Salvation Army workers. And so he sent a telegram to be read on his behalf at that convention. And the moderator stood up to read that message that was delivered by General Booth. And he opened the telegram, and there was, it was a one-word speech. A one-word speech. All these people are gathered together to hear what General Booth is going to tell them by way of this telegram. And it was read, and the moderator said, I have a message from General Booth, and here it is. Others. Others. Just one word others what was he saying hey it's all about helping someone else it's all about living your life hey forget about yourself forget about look uh, look you say well pastor i've got problems all god's children got problems <laughs> all of us have problems did you know the best way for me to deal with my problems is to set my problems aside and help you with your problems hey that's the that's the, the greatest thing you can do is to set aside your problems long enough to go find somebody else and help them with their problems. Tonight's message will, source, uh, will center on uh, Jesus and his weariness in John chapter 4. And the Bible says in John chapter 4 that Jesus, he was tired, he was weary, and he sat on, on Jacob's well there in Sychar, but he wasn't too tired to help somebody. And you read on in John chapter 4, the woman at the well got saved, but it was during, while the, during the time where Jesus set aside his weariness and his tiredness, if you will, his fatigue, and he said, you know, I'm going to help somebody. 
I want to help somebody. I see, first of all, that this centurion believed in living for others. Number two, I want you to see this. He believed in the importance of the individual. He believed in the importance of the individual. Notice in our text that the word servant is singular. He wasn't talking about helping a large group of people. He was focused on an individual. As a centurion, he had up to 100 men under his command, and yet he took time out to care for the needs of this one lowly servant. Jesus gave us three stories in Luke chapter 15 about the importance of one. The value of one. Beautiful song, and, and uh, <clears throat> I've heard my wife sing it many times, the value of one. Many of you, no doubt, have heard that song, but God's interested in the individual. Jesus cares about the individual. Hey, if you're here this morning, you say, well, <clears throat> I'm just one person. You're important to God. You're important to God. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus reminds us of the importance of one by giving us three illustrations in the same chapter. The first story was a story about the lost sheep. He said uh, there was a shepherd who was counting his sheep as they came into the fold one night, and he counted 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. He had 100 sheep. And the Bible says he was, as they came in, he found that he was missing one sheep. Now it's one lost sheep. And so instead of being satisfied with the fact that he had 99 out of 100, hey, there's not a student in this room this morning who wouldn't be satisfied with 99% on a test. We're in the middle of exams, final exams, amen. And, and uh, 99, for some, for some kids, 99, man, they'll, they'll do a Presbyterian Pentecostal fit for over 99%. But this shepherd, hey, 99%, that wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough. The Bible says he left the 99 in the security of the fold and he went out in the night to find that one lost sheep. And the Bible says he searched diligently until he found it. Why? Because God's concerned with one. God's concerned with one. And then Jesus tells a story about the, uh, the, the little lady who lost the coin. It wasn't just a coin that you, you know, uh, you know, that you set your spare change on the counter uh, at night. It wasn't like that. This was a, a, a coin, one of ten coins that was of great sentimental value. It was much on par with uh, maybe a lady in our culture losing an engagement ring or losing uh, a, a ring that was of great sentimental, uh, sentimental value, great sentimental worth. And this lady, she lost one of those ten coins that was of great value. And she didn't just say, well, nine out of ten ain't bad. She didn't say that. She said, no, I've got to find that coin. I've got to find it. And the Bible says that she, she cleaned the house and she looked everywhere and she basically turned the house upside down until she found that one lost coin. Why? Because one is important to God. And then Jesus finishes Luke chapter 15 by giving us the, the story of the prodigal son. And this young man who decided that he wanted his inheritance early, so he went to his father and he said, Father, he said, give me what's coming to me. And, and uh, reluctantly, the father gave it to him. The Bible says he went out to the far country and he spent and wasted his substance in riotous living. And the Bible says, and when he'd spent all, when he'd spent all, he went to the hog pen and the only place, the only thing that he could eat was 
the, the leftovers that the swine left behind. And finally, he came to himself and he said, The hired servants of my father had bread enough and to spare, and I perished with hunger. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to rise and go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And the Bible says that, of course, the father saw him coming from afar off and, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And he said, My son, he was, he was gone. Now he's back again why God is trying to show us the importance of one the importance of one you're imp do you have any idea how important you are to God you're not an uh-oh with God you're an accident with God you know one of the things that burns me up most about this this uh, uh, <clears throat> the, the killing of the unborn and that's exactly what it is by the way the murder of the unborn, <clears throat> one of the things that is most, that is most uh, aside from the obvious, is the fact that we have just basically thumbed our nose at God's creation and said, that person's not important. And by the way, you hear me this morning, <clears throat> it won't be long before they'll be, get, they'll be making those same decisions about the end of our life that they do at the beginning of our life. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. But God says you're important. The value of one. He believed in the individual. As you read the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus made time for the individual, the woman at the well, blind Bartimaeus, the thief on the cross, Lazarus, Jairus, and his daughter, the woman that had been taken in the very act of adultery. Every single time, story after story after story in the Gospel narratives about Jesus taking time with not great groups of crowd or great, great groups and great crowds, although he did feed the 5,000, although he did on another occasion feed the, 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 another multitude of four thousand plus but jesus always took time for individuals individuals god is not just interested in multitudes he's interested in you as a person jesus came to down a cross for you as an individual if you'd been the only one who needed a savior jesus would have done it for you it's important that we see individuals the same way that Jesus saw them. He saw each one, not just a group of many. That's how we are to see the people that God's put in our own care. That's how, that's how we're to see our children. Each child is different. God's given my wife and I five wonderful children, and they're all different. Even, you know, uh, I remember when uh, 13 years ago in June, we, uh, my wife gave birth to the twin girls. And they were identical twins. Sometimes there's nothing at all identical about them. <laughs> nothing. Sometimes they're as different as night and day. I won't tell you which one's night, which one's day, but anyway. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <clears throat> they flip-flop those roles quite often, so it doesn't matter. But I'm simply saying, <clears throat> we, all not, we all not look at our children as a group. and No, no, they're individuals. God has a will for each of them individually. And as parents, we need to see that. We need to recognize that. I'm simply saying this Roman centurion recognized his servant as somebody that God cared about. Somebody that needed to be healed. I hasten. Number three, he believed he was unworthy. 
This Roman centurion, first of all, he believed in the importance of the individual. He believed in living for others. And then thirdly, I see this, he believed that he was unworthy. Look at verse number 8, if you will. Matthew chapter 8, verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. His feeling of unworthiness came as a result of realizing who Jesus was. You know why he felt unworthy? Because he was in the presence of the Son of God. You know when we get too big for our britches? Is when we get out of God's presence. When we shy away from our prayer closet, when we get out of the Word of God, when we all of a sudden become filled with pride and arrogance and, and, and somehow we pat ourselves on the back and, and, and proclaim ourselves to be self-made individuals. Hey, let me tell you something. God's responsible for every breath that I breathe. Every beat of my heart, every, every chemical balance that's necessary to sustain the life in this body, this, 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 this robe of flesh that I wear, and the same can be said for all of us. Who do we think we are? We need to get back in God's presence and understand, but for God, we're nobody. And we need to say, we need to have that balance of understanding that God sees us as important as an individual, but our importance is, is, is strictly up to God. He sustains us. Faith and humility go hand in hand. The more we see Jesus for who he is, the more we see ourselves as the sinners we are. And when that happens, we're forced to depend upon the Lord. Hey, that's what faith's all about. That's what saving faith is all about. You know, I got saved the same way anybody else ever has gotten saved. I understood that I was a sinner condemned because of my sins. That's it. And what that realization gave to me was a realization that I was dependent upon Jesus to save me. That's what we got to have. God does not owe us anything. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse number 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed because his compassions fail not. Let me tell you this morning, I'm only, uh, it's only because of God's grace and mercy that I'm still alive. Thank God for his mercy. Number four, I want you to see this. This centurion believed it was worth the sacrifice. He believed it was worth the sacrifice, his effort to go find Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us how far he traveled to get to Jesus, but we can assume that he went out of his way. Now, why did he do that? He believed that it was worth the sacrifice for his servant to be healed. In other words, he was willing to be inconvenienced. He was willing to be inconvenienced. You know, the reason why you're sitting in here this morning if you're saved is because somebody went out of their way to give you the gospel. Well, we all thank God for that person. Whether you got saved in a public meeting like this or you got saved as a result of somebody personally giving you the gospel, all of us are here because somebody, somebody thought it was worth the effort to give us the gospel. He inconvenienced himself for someone, and he believed it was, it was worth it. And if you and I are going to serve God over the long haul, we must count the cost and believe that Jesus is worthy of what it cost you to live for him. Let me ask you a question this morning. Jesus gave everything for us. Think about the price that he paid so that you and I could, have, could go to heaven one day. The Bible says that we're bought with a price. Therefore, we ought to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which belong to God. Let me ask you a question. 
is Jesus getting any kind of return on his investment in your life? That's a powerful question. It's a question that I need to ask myself on a regular basis. Now, we understand there's no way that I can repay Jesus what he did for me. There's no way that I can adequately give him uh, uh, equally what he invested in my life for my soul, for my salvation. But is, is God getting anything in return for what he invested in us? That's a powerful question. And, and one that we need to ask ourselves. But here is this centurion who said, you know what? It's worth the sacrifice. My servant needs to be healed. My servant is sick unto death. And his only hope is Jesus. And I'm going to do what I can to get him there because it's worth it. Last thing and we're done. The centurion believed that Jesus was able. That's really what it boiled down to. His servant had a problem. His servant was sick. His servant was nigh to death. Physically, there was no hope. Uh, Medically speaking, there was no hope. But he understood that this Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead, this Jesus who touched blind eyes and made them see again, this Jesus who fed multitudes with a little boy's lunch, this same, if there was any hope of of his servant being healed, Jesus was that hope. And he believed that Jesus was able. He did not go to professionals or experts about the man's condition because this man was beyond hope. Let me ask you a question. What is it in your life that seems impossible? What is it that you're going through this morning that there seems to be no human help for your situation? Uh, Is it a relationship? Is uh, Is it a spiritual condition? Is it, uh, I, look, you could fill in the blank. There could be one of a hundred different answers there, but I'm simply saying, may I remind all of us that Jesus is able? He's able. The Bible says, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. What a great prayer promise. He's, a, he's able to do exceeding abundantly. If I can dream it, if I can think it, if I can pray over it, hey, if I can even imagine it, Jesus said, hey, I can do exceeding abundantly above whatever it is that you just thought about. Wow. He's able. He's able. You know, we treat God like he's an invalid. We treat the Lord like he's somehow incapacitated, that he can't look. You say, preacher, how do you know we treat him that way? It, let me ask you a question. How much time have we spent in prayer this week? Our prayer life is a wonderful barometer of how much or how we really feel about God's ability to handle our circumstances. We'd rather worry about it. We'd rather fret over it. We'd rather lose sleep over it. We'd rather toss and turn over it. No, this centurion said, my servant's in bad shape, but Jesus is able. Jesus is able. Hey, we need to simply be reminded to trust him, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I go back to the beginning of the message. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, I don't care how intense your faith is in something or somebody, if, your faith, if the object of your faith is incorrect, the intensity of your faith doesn't matter. Hey, if you're here and you're not saved, you say, well, I have faith in my good works, and I have lots of faith, lots and lots of faith in my good works. doesn't matter how much faith you have, you've got the, you've got the wrong object of your faith. 
you, you got misplaced faith. Because you can have all the faith in the world in your good works, but your good works won't get you one inch closer to heaven than what you are right now. You say, well, uh, I, I'm trusting in my, my baptism. I'm trusting in the fact that I was, I was baptized as an infant. I was christened. I was confirmed. I was all this. And I was in this system of religion or in X, Y, and Z church. Hey, it doesn't matter. It's faith. It's Jesus. It's faith in Christ. It's not the intensity of your faith that takes you to heaven. It's the object. Jesus is taking me to heaven. He's the answer. He's the one who's able. He's able to take care of my spiritual needs. And by the way, he's, a, he's able to take care of my physical circumstances. He's able. This story is a perfect illustration of Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. This man not only came to Jesus, but he came believing that Jesus was the Son of God and that Jesus would reward him for seeking him. And that's exactly what Hebrews eleven six 6 says. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. How's your faith this morning? Has it dawned on you lately that the same God who is able to save your soul can take care of every other need that you have? May I remind all of us this morning that uh, we do nothing for the Lord that goes unnoticed and he's worthy of any sacrifice that we may give to him. What sacrifice? He's the God of the universe. There's nothing that I can do for him that, will, that would even compare to what he's done for me. You know what? There is no sacrifice. How's your faith this morning? You say, oh, pastor, <clears throat> I'm depending on my faith because my faith is what's going to get me through. Simple question, but important question. Where's your faith directed? The Bible says, don't put your trust in man. Amen. Hey, Bible says, don't trust in your flesh. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Hey, faith is a wonderful thing, but faith that is misdirected is of no use. I've got intense faith. That's wonderful, but if it's not intensely, if it's not directed toward Jesus, it's misdirected. The centurion said, you know what? <laughs> My servant's in a bad way. He's got one hope, and his name is Jesus. And I say to all of us this morning as I close, our world's in a mess. Our world's in a big mess. And they've got one hope, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You say, preacher, my life's a mess. Okay, fine. You've got one hope, and his name is Jesus. Oh, preacher, my family's a mess. Okay, but there's hope, and his name is Jesus. Oh, preacher, my finances are a wreck. Oh, but there's hope, and his name is Jesus. I'm simply saying... We make, we make this far more complicated than it needs to be. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do what this centurion did. Get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word.